You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online and in iTunes because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades. So again, welcome to the show today, show number 141. We are going to be diving deep into understanding how contango and backwardation work and how it might affect how options potentially are priced or how you can actually trade options around these types of environments if you can gain any edge from this or not or if it's just, you know, mostly a lot of hot air stuff. So I want to start with this conversation. And again, all of this will be in the show notes at optionoff.com slash show 141, just the number 141. But I want to truly start with this conversation about three things. And I guess the, the three things that really kind of lead into this discussion. I know this is going to be a little bit more of a high level talk because many people, when they start trading, this is probably the least in their list of, you know, required reading or required listening. Right. And I get that, but I want to cover these topics because they come up often enough that I want to have a resource for you guys to understand what's going on, what happens. It's not that complicated actually to understand. And then how we might be able to use some of this, you know, this contango and backwardation as we think about different markets as maybe a trigger to say, you know, okay, maybe this market might be a little bit too risky to go this direction or another direction, right? And that's how I kind of think about them as well. So the three things I want to talk about right up front are the future price or forward price, uh, spot price, and then just this idea of convergence. And so when I talk about these things, and it's really at the core of what all of this discussion is, especially when it comes to futures contracts or commodities contracts, you have these three things happening at all times. So the first one is the future price or forward price, and that's simply the price of the futures contract or the forward contract at any date in the future. Now, things like oil might have you know many months to many years of futures contracts out there. So when we talk about the future price, we're just talking about that price of the future delivery of this thing coming in the future. The spot price is naturally then just today's price. The price of it right now, if we were to go out and you know physically buy a barrel of oil or you know buy cattle or buy corn or buy anything, how much is the spot price of of the market right now? So. We have this future data price, and then we have this spot price of the current market right now. And then the convergence that we talk about is this just general idea that as we get closer to that future date, the spot price and the future price start to converge until at one point they become the same, basically at expiration, right? And so it's the same general concept as options trading and in the sense that you know option pricing tends to be all over the place as we're further out. But then as time and volatility value get sucked out of option contracts, option contracts start to converge closer to their intrinsic value, if any intrinsic value, at expiration. So the same thing is generally said about uh, futures contracts and future trading. And I think about this visually as, you know, just things that start really far apart, but over time they start gradually, you know, uh, pulling towards each other. It's almost like they have a magnet that's, you know, pulling their prices together, right? Whether uh, you're in contango or backwardation, eventually you're going to get to expiration and the pricing is going to be the same, whatever it, whatever it ends up being, right? And it can change, but whatever it ends up being, it's going to be the same for the contracts over time. 
So now that we understand those three, I think of them as really components, now we can start to break down what contango is and what backwardation is. Now, again, it seems like these words, although they sound cool, like I love the word contango, but although it seems like these words are really complicated and, you know, overly, you know, like just confusing for many traders, it's really not that hard to understand. So I want to try to explain it in hopefully as simple as terms possible so you understand it now and forever. So contango is simply whenever the future price is higher than the spot price. And that's literally it. And backwardation is whenever the future price is lower than the spot price right now. So again, in Contango, what you'd have is you'd have a futures contract, say the corn futures, right? Where the corn price is X in the future, call it indexed of 100, but then the spot price is indexed to 90 right now. So that contract would be in Contango, which is a general way that many futures contracts are, especially in commodity markets. That's usually how most futures contracts are. And so whenever the spot price is lower than the future price, you're in Contango. And when it's reverse, when the spot price is higher than the future price, then you're in backwardation. It's almost like you have it backwards. Like today's price is higher than what it will be in the future. That kind of seems backwards, right? That it almost seems like you're going to get a discount by holding it into the future, right? Or by buying it later on in the future. So that's why uh, it's called backwardation. That's how I kind of think about it is that it's kind of you know, probably backwards from what most people generally think of when they think of pricing and then pricing moving forward in the future. So I want to give you hopefully two examples of this so you could understand kind of how this works in the market and then why it really exists. And and so one example of this would be the oil markets. So if you type in the ticker symbol slash CL, which is the crude oil contracts, what you'll see is that many times uh, crude oil contracts will be in contango, which again, just means that the future price is higher than the spot price. And the reason that this happens is mainly because of the cost to hold and store and carry oil from today until the future, right? So if I buy a futures contract, but I don't want delivery of oil until six months from now, well, I'm paying that for that futures contract now and somebody else has to hold the futures contract or has to hold the barrel of oil for six months until I'm ready for delivery of it. So that cost to carry that yeah, that storage cost of that barrel of oil has to be factored into the future price. And so what they do is they basically take today's spot price and they add on whatever the cost to carry or any, any of the risk associated with that to the spot price. And that's why most of the time commodity contracts and commodity futures like oil trade in contango. So today's price of a barrel of oil might be $65. The future price in six months might be $70. That has nothing to do necessarily with everybody expecting the oil prices to go up. It's just the cost between holding oil today, somebody else having to buy it today at $65, hold it for six months in storage, and then deliver it to me, that's a $5 charge per barrel. And so that's the difference between it. And again, I think that most people when they see this, or I guess a lot of people, they'll see it and say, oh, well, that means that the oil market's expected to go higher. Not necessarily, right? The oil market could go higher, but it may not necessarily be because the futures contracts are in contango. It's just naturally how the progression goes. Like they have to store the oil and then deliver it to me. So I'm paying a little bit of a premium because I'm not storing the oil for six months. So in many cases, you see uh, crude oil contracts that uh, have this relationship, right? This contango relationship. Now, when crude oil goes into backwardation, what happens there is that most of the time it's because of a short-term demand in oil 
and very little supply on the market. So again, if you think about this whole idea of price and demand and supply, which runs everything as always, if there's a short-term demand for oil, a spike for oil demand, and there's no oil supply, what happens? Well, prices go up. And prices go up so fast, so fast that they actually go above the futures contracts. So now the oil today is actually more expensive than oil tomorrow. And so what happens is, is that creates a big incentive for people to get oil to market, right? To push back down the pricing through the additional supply and get back to that regular contango, you know, type of term structure. So again, when you have a case where oil goes into backwardation, which is not necessarily the normal case, right? That's not necessarily the normal case. Then what you could do is you could end up shorting oil at that point, right? Because it may have run up and of course it could go higher, but at that point it might look like oil is seeing this short-term huge demand and huge spike in price. But over time, it might actually come back down because people are expecting more supply to hit the market, right? If the price of a barrel of oil goes up $45 you know, in three days, more people are going to get their oil to market. So it's a really interesting concept that you can you know, kind of leverage and kind of think about. And again, I just want to talk through the logistics of how some of this stuff happens because you know, people talk about all the time, numbers are, you know, these words are thrown back and forth. And I don't like that people don't understand necessarily how everything works and like what the real mechanics are of the market. So let's use another example, just kind of talk about this. And then what I want to talk about is I want to talk about um, VXX because this is a a great little analogy that kind of, you know, works in tandem with a lot of these things that we're talking about here with uh, Contango. So most of the time, the VIX is actually in Contango. And the reason is, is because most of the time people are fearful the further we go out in time. That's really just about as simple as it is. So the further we go out in time, the less predictive you know power we have as a financial community. So we become more and more fearful, and therefore VIX futures further out are a little bit more expensive than VIX futures closer in. Right, a VIX futures contract that could expire uh, in three days is not going to be worth the same as a VIX futures contract that expires in six months, right? Because in six months, a lot of stuff can happen. So for the most part, VIX futures end up trading in contango. And when you have the rare instance, a spike in volatility that causes, again, short-term panic and a short-term demand for risky protective assets like the VIX, right? Or like VIX futures where people are going out and they're actually physically buying VIX futures contracts. It's probably because they have short-term fear or they are very fearful. And so they bid up the near or front month contracts as opposed to the back month contracts. And that's when you start to see the VIX go into backwardation. So now the spot price of the VIX is much higher than the future price of the VIX or future price of the future contracts. And so the reason that this happens and the reason the long tail of the VIX doesn't really go up that much when this happens is because people know intuitively that time kind of heals a lot of wounds, right? You know, short-term volatility today may definitely cool down and slow down over the course of the next four to five months or six months or a year. So when you have those opportunities, again, where the VIX goes into backwardation and VIX spot pricing starts going higher than VIX future pricing, again, that could be an opportunity to come in and say, look, people are overly fearful, at least short term. Now we might have an opportunity to play this, right? And one of the best ways I think you can still play this 
if you want to play it with the regular VIX, which we've done before in the past, but another good way you can play it is with VXX. And I'll talk about VXX for a second here because I think VXX is really interesting the way that it's structured. And so now that we've had this kind of mini discussion, if you will, on on where pricing is and where you know the VIX futures are and how it goes into backwardation, I think the next interesting discussion is VXX contracts, which are a leveraged ETF that basically is trying to, you know, buy and sell VIX contracts all the time, the front and the back month contracts. What's interesting about VXX is that if you look at a chart of VXX, it's lost 99 plus percent of its value since inception on an unadjusted basis, but they keep readjusting it. And it just seems like this thing is just constantly dragged lower. And the question that people always ask is, well, if that's the case, how does that happen? Like, how does this product just lose all of this value? And why do people still even trade it? Right. And so the first part of that question is, how does this even happen? And I want to go through how the VXX just continues to be seemingly dragged lower, which is why a lot of people like shorting VXX, right? And the reason that it happens is because of Contango. So we think about Contango as we just described as spot prices being higher, or I'm sorry, spot prices being lower than future prices. Well, the makeup of the VIX term structure is that it has to buy the front month contract and then it basically has to sell that contract at the same time when it reaches expiration as it buys the back month contract. So again, to start off, the VXX buys the futures contract, but then at expiration of the front month, and this has now gone on forever, at expiration of the front month, it sells the front month contract and it buys the back month contract. Now, remember what I said about VIX futures is that they are mostly in contango, which means that whenever the VIX as an ETF is going through its rhythm process of buying and selling VIX futures, it literally is having to sell the front month VIX futures at a lower price, a lower spot price, and then immediately go out and buy further dated VIX months VIX futures at a higher price. So how long do you think an ETF can last when it has to sell something at a, a lower price and buy something else at a higher price in nearly all cases? right? And that's what happens with VXX. VXX ends up becoming this negative drag ETF, this ETF that is dragged lower in value because of Contango, because it has to deal with Contango on an ongoing basis. Now, of course, there's times where VXX has a huge spike and that happens in backwardation. And those are the opportunities where if you are short, you get burned. If you're long, you make a lot of money because now VXX is having to sell front month VIX futures at a higher price and it can buy back month VIX futures at a lower price, right? So that's the only time that it actually makes money. That's why you see these spikes in volatility that happen in the VIX, that happen in VIX futures, and that also happen in volatility products like VXX. But VXX is really unique in that it has to do this on an ongoing basis. I'm just literally looking at VIX futures right now as we're kind of going through this podcast. The September VIX futures that I'm looking at right now, they are trading for 1385. And the next contract out are trading for 1421. So if the VIX is going to stay true to keeping, you know, an ongoing rolling basis relationship, it basically has to sell the position it has for 1385 and rebuy a new position for 1418. How long do you think that's going to keep up before they just it just loses money, which is why it continuously goes 
uh, further and further to zero. Now, again, what they do to counteract this is they start reverse splitting the stock, right? So VXX has gone through a couple reverse splits where they reverse split the stock. The stock, you know, continues to move lower. They reverse split it so that it's readjusted to a higher price. It's basically like moving the VIX to a higher floor so it can continue to fall all the way down to the basement. And it does this nonstop all the time. Now, again, all of this stuff for me as a trader is great information just to know on the outside. And I think, you know, to kind of wrap up this understanding here a little bit, when I think about, you know, contango and backwardation, it's not that I'm making trading decisions off of that, but I understand the mechanics of what's going on so that maybe if we wanted to tilt a strategy in one direction versus the other, we might be able to do this. And so you see all the time that people use, you know, backwardation or contango as maybe triggers of market tops and bottoms. And it's, you know, potentially this relationship between short-term fear and greed and long-term, you know, kind of calmness and, you know, fear or greed in that aspect. And so I look at it as, you know, an interesting thing. I understand it because we're trading options, potentially trading options on underlying markets like the crude oil market, right? Where we're trading USO and XOP and OIH. Well, that's going to very similarly track, you know, crude oil futures. And so if crude oil futures are in contango, I need to, you know, be aware of that at least or have a, an understanding of what that means. If they go into backwardation, okay, good. I need to have an understanding of, you know, potentially what that means in the future. So hopefully this has been really helpful. Again, it, it wasn't I didn't want to like belabor this too long because there's a lot of stuff you can go into and, you know, in the future when we do more podcasts on futures trading, we can, you know, dive into some of these things a little bit more specifically. But I think this was a really good understanding of what these two are and hopefully how they might work in different markets Uh, because many people, again, like I said, don't understand them and, and brush them off. And that's really the bad way to think about it. If you have already been through this podcast now and you're listening to me, and if you don't really understand what happens, please rewind this and go back and listen to it again, two, three times if you need to, to really get this concept down. Because I think it does impact potentially how you start to you know position yourself moving forward. Knowing that crude oil is in backwardation or that VIX futures are in backwardation could really help you understand, okay, maybe I'm being you know too fearful right now. Maybe I need to calm down. Maybe I need to be more patient. Maybe I need to let my positions mature a little bit more, right? A lot of that stuff can actually improve your trading dramatically. Now, again, if you want some more resources on this, just head on over to the show notes page at optionalpha.com slash show 141. And let's get into the Trader Q&A segment. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hey, Kirk. After watching the webinars over a couple of times now, going through the courses through number two, is it really possible to do these all the strategies you do with a small $1,500 account? I would appreciate an answer. Thank you for your webinars. Keep learning. All right. So Neil, thank you so much for submitting a question as always. And so to answer your question, I think you can be successful doing this with $1,500. But in all honesty, I think you would have a higher chance of being successful if you actually started with a little bit more money. So what I generally tell people is, look, you want to start this business with, you know, at the bare minimum, three to $5,000. I mean, that's enough to get into very small $1 wide spreads, have enough diversity in tickers, have enough trade count size to really 
you know, get the ball rolling. And again, it's it's going to be a small snowball that you're building here. You know, with a small account, unfortunately, in this business, you know, you the larger account you have, it's just easier to make more money with it because you have more to work with. With smaller accounts, it's not that you can't be successful. It's just that you can't let yourself get carried away. You can't let yourself get into bigger position sizes than you really need. It's very easy on a small account to say, oh, it's just $200. But $200 is a lot for a $3,000 account, right? And so you have to keep your position size small. You got to be really systematic, really mechanical about how you trade. So again, I think it's possible. I think you probably set yourself up for better success if you start maybe with three to $5,000 and get going with that. So as always, if you guys want to get your question answered here on the podcast or live on Facebook as we've been doing pretty much every day, head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask and click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. Again, there's no software to download or install. It's super, super easy. If you have a question that's in the back of your mind and you're like, I want to ask Kirk this question, please get it in there because it really helps us on not only this podcast, but also on the daily call, which we do every single day here at Option Alpha. Now. The closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so today I want to talk about a little bit different type of a trade that we're doing right now, and I want to kind of walk through this a little bit on the show. If you are a member or if you want to sign up eventually, one of the videos will go out that talks about the gold options or gold options that we were assigned basically uh, just a couple days ago. So at the time I'm recording this video, we had been assigned on our GLD position, which is a gold ETF, kind of tracks gold pricing and moves around with gold pricing and pr- price and uh, gold stocks. And so we had originally sold an iron butterfly around the 121 strike for gold. And this was uh, about a month and a half ago or so. Well, gold right now, when we were assigned, was trading down at 111. So it has made a huge, huge move lower. Now, since our original iron butterfly trade, we have made adjustments to that iron butterfly. We went inverted. We took in a pretty big premium on the initial uh, collection of the iron butterfly. And so when we look at our adjusted net credits, for the options that we've sold before we were assigned stock, we actually are looking at a break-even price right around 1475, 1473 or so. So again, even though we sold options that at the money strikes at 121, because of all the credits that we took in on selling those premiums and all of the options that expired worthless on both sides, we ended up with collecting enough premium after adjustments to move our break-even point down to around 114.73, 114.75. So it's not too far off from where gold is actually trading right now. And so we decided to hold the long stock that we were assigned in gold. And I go through this on the video update with members that are part of the Pro and Elite program, but the reasoning behind this as a generality is because GLD has made such a huge move lower, has started to go parabolically lower, and in the process has started to reach some of the technical signals that we have been using over the last couple of years since we did our major research. So again, if you want to learn more about our research that we did on technical analysis, it's over at optionalpha.com slash signals. But I have these signals up and I use them all the time. And this is one of the places that I feel that they really come into play as being useful tools because when we get into a situation like this where we get assigned stock, my first reaction then is, What do I do with the stock? Do I either choose to hold it or do I choose to dump it? 
And so in this case, we were assigned long stock and we happened to be at a point at which we were also getting technical buy signals using our signals tools. And so for me, as hard as it was to say, you know, we're going to hold this basically falling knife that many people thought it was, we decided to hold GLD. Now, since the lows, which actually happened to be the actual low day is the day that we got assigned. So you was probably the worst decision possible to ever dump the stock that day because you dumped it at the lows. Since then, GLD has rallied back up to around 113.31. So it's rallied back up about $2 or so. So a pretty decent rally here in a couple of days. Again, confirming that the signals that we use in this case ended up working out pretty well. But in my opinion, I think we've still got a little bit more room to go. And since we are still not yet at our break-even point and our position is small, we have it, it's manageable enough to hold, what I am deciding to do today is now sell a covered call on top of our existing stock shares. So we were assigned 200 shares, so now I'm going to sell a covered call against it. And again, this is a great strategy that you can use if you want to maintain a stock position and start to trade around these assignments and start to use covered calls and start to use uh, you know, short puts if you want to do kind of the wheel strategy that we talked about in show number 107 with MACD Daddy where he buys stock and then uses the wheel strategy to trade options around it. This is a great way to reduce basis on our ownership. And so right now, like I said, our break-even price is around 114.73 or so. And so we're going to sell the covered call at the 115 strike prices. Oddly enough, I'm doing this right outside of our break-even point. So if the stock continues to rally up and it blows past 115, I don't care because that would have gotten me out of the position and I would have negated the loss that I had earlier. And we sold options for a 73 cent credit. So now that moves our break-even point down. Guess what? Another 73 cents. So now the stock only needs to rally back up to 114. Do you see how we're just using options to chip away at our break-even price and start to move and feather that break-even price much, much lower? So right now the stock is trading, like I said, around 1330-ish. It needs a 70 cent move and boom, we're out of this position with a potential profit, right? Probably a little bit more than that because we got to wait till expiration or closer to it. So, but around there is when we start hitting our break even point. Now that doesn't seem like too much of a stretch now for a $113 ETF. A 70 cent move can be done in a day, a half a day. That's, you know, three quarters of a percent. It's really not that much. And so that's what I wanted to do today. And I know this is a little bit of a different deviation from most of the the closing bell segments that we talk about and we talk about the new you know trades that we're getting into, but I thought this was warranted because it is timely. We're doing it at this moment. And then two, it's a little bit different uh, style of trading where we're taking something that was given to us. We're not freaking out necessarily, but we're trying to work around it and still use the same option selling techniques and strategies and kind of methodology to continue to take a stock position that we were assigned and whittle it down to the point at which it becomes small loss, small gain, something in our portfolio. So as always, hopefully this helps out. If you guys have any other questions or want to see more of these trades, as always, head on over to optionalpha.com and then sign up for a pro or elite membership. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, so I truly hope you guys enjoyed today's show as always and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, 
more profitable trader and investor. As always, you can get additional resources, links mentioned in the show, and some related video training from today's show by going to optionalpha.com slash show 141. Again, that's just the number 141, optionalpha.com slash show 141. And until next time, happy trading.